Welcome everyone to Berkeley Center for Law and Technology's Expert Series podcast, where the focus is on important legal issues impacting technology companies and individual innovators. I'm Wayne Stacy, the Executive Director for BCLT and your host today. With me, we have a partner from the law firm of Baker and Botts, uh, Sarah Gusky. Sarah has been uh, litigating for many, many years. We'll just say, leave it at that. But she's one of the nation's leading and most recognized patent litigation experts. She's also been an adjunct professor teaching IP law and patent litigation at several universities around the country. So welcome, Sarah. Uh, thank you. And thank you for implying that I'm old. <laughs> well, we, let's say we, we're roughly the same age. So whatever you are, I am too. So uh, today's topic is a is an old one that uh, unfortunately keeps coming up and uh, keeps requiring more and more attention. And that is venue for patent litigations. But today we're going to look at it from a slightly different uh, perspective, one that involves some of today's issues around the pandemic, remote working, and something very close to the Bay Area is the, the movement of Bay Area tech employees to other markets and particularly to the Austin market. So with that in mind, you know, Sarah, why, why does venue and movement of employees to the Austin market matter to anyone? Uh, well, uh, it, it's a little bit to quote uh, Yogi Berra, deja vu all over again. Um, and it's a lot of what we were seeing back in the early 2000s with respect to the Eastern District. Uh, but today in 2021, we now have the uh, Western District of Texas, which has become uh, the front runner in terms of patent or patent venues uh, for patent litigations. And where does Austin sit? Well, it's right in the Western District of Texas. So as, as employees and companies migrate that direction, they're uh, putting themselves in the crosshair, so to speak. Well, and in, in as I study what's going on in the, the Western District of Texas, it's not really the Western District of Texas that has got companies scared these days. It's one particular division in the Western District of Texas, uh, Waco. And I understand Judge Albright there in Waco, in just a, a few short years on the bench, has now amassed about 20% of the nation's patent litigation in his courts. Is that roughly what you're hearing? That's right. Uh, and, and as you said, a very short period of time, he has attracted uh, and outpaced his competitors, if you want to call them that, uh, in attracting those patent lawsuits. Um, and, and the growth is sort of a, a hockey stick and it just keeps on going. Well, it seems that in many circles, he's earned a reputation for keeping a lot of cases in the, the Western District of Texas in either Waco or Austin that might more appropriately belong elsewhere, at least arguably. Uh, but the federal circuit has gotten involved uh, recently and reversed several of his decisions and required him to send the cases back to or out to other jurisdictions around the country. And, I was reading that Judge Albright's response to that was to put some new rules in place to try to address the, the federal circuit's guidance. 
you tell us a little bit about those rules and what people might want to start looking for? Sure. So I, I think it's probably good to frame what the nature of the, the typical requests up to the federal circuit have been in these cases. Um, they largely, uh, in the last year, year and a half, have involved uh, challenges to the Forum for Convenience under Section 1404, um, and which is a discretionary issue. Uh, and, and as a consequence, we're seeing a lot of denials on those motions to transfer. So there were two different things happening. There were, of course, the mandamus uh, requests up to the federal circuit on the merits of the transfer factors. Uh, but then there were quite a few of them that uh, related to the cases, the underlying cases marching on uh, while motions to dismiss, or sorry, motions to transfer were fully briefed and pending. Things like Markman hearings were happening, or um, a lot of discovery was happening, uh, you know, the, the substance of the case. So I think it's it's that second category of mandamus that um, that resulted in the the there's a couple of recent standing orders that Judge Albright has issued that deal with that. So first category is timing of something as important as the Markman hearing, the claim construction hearing in cases. Um, Judge Albright, in response, it appears to the decisions coming out of the federal circuit, has changed his procedures to ensure that decisions on motions to transfer are resolved before the Markman. Um, even going so far as for some of the cases who had been on it that had been on its docket longer, um, he would be he started pushing back some of the Markman dates in order to get orders out on those pending motions to transfer. Um, the other thing that he has done in terms of the, the venue and jurisdictional discovery itself underlying the, um, underlying the issues on a transfer motion is uh, he has put in as a standing order limits and timing constraints on those, uh, on the, the venue discovery. So for a Bay Area company that now has workers moving toward Austin um, and then supporting those as remote workers, but not opening up an office in Austin. What can they expect to see in terms of a venue discovery and venue fights if they get sued in the Western District of Texas? Well, Judge Albright is allowing five interrogatories 10 RFPs or, or document requests and 10 hours of deposition testimony. Uh, and and you, you will believe that the plaintiffs are, are taking advantage and will continue to take advantage of that. He's also shortened the timeline in which to respond to that discovery um, and, and also the, the subsequent briefings teed off of completion of that discovery. So you need to, uh, if you're on the receiving end of it as the movement, you need to be on on top of answering the discovery to ensure that the the briefing process can move forward and you can get a decision on your motion. Um, but probably more importantly is that you're you're going to see requests like identify your employees and their roles. Uh, who are, for employees who are located in the Western District of Texas or even Texas more broadly. 
um, because the plaintiff is going to want to do a pretty deep dive to determine whether likely witnesses or materials that are generated by those witnesses are in the Western District or in Texas um, as well. And with those timelines, that can put quite a bit of burden on some of these bigger companies. <laughs> That's a lot of reports being run out of HR databases or interviewing of project product managers, that sort of thing to be able to collect that information. So is it fair to say that if you're a, a Bay Area company and you have employees that voluntarily relocate to Texas and under a permissible remote work policy, that a, a patent plaintiff is going to figure that out? Uh, they're sure going to try. Uh, and they and they probably will uncover that information um, if if you're able to get the the requested information to them in in a reasonable fashion, which I think you know most most modern companies probably do have access to those types of you know location based information for the employees. Uh, so yeah, that there's going to be quite a bit of focus by the plaintiff on that very information. If you've got um, people with relevant knowledge who are now living and based with permission of the company in that, in that district, that's going to, that that's going to come out. So do you see any chance that a remote employee there you know, completely voluntarily could be used to anchor venue in the Western District of Texas when there's no other office? Well, if you're talking about whether venue is proper and you look at the Cray factors, which are a little bit different than the 1404 factors, you could see making an argument about the location and it being by permission. Um, and, and it could potentially, you know, it, the famous lawyer response that I'll give you is it depends um, on the facts of the situation, but you could see how you could you could manipulate the Cray factors into evaluating that presence for proper venue. Um, similarly, you can see it on the motion to transfer side too, because depending on the identity of that witness and what they know and its connection to the relevant pieces of the case, um, that is going to get weighed and discovered in this process. Um, but also the number of of witnesses who might have relevant information is going to to factor into that. Um, so yeah, yes, all of those things will will be weighed. In not all judges allow this type of venue discovery. Is that correct? Um, that that is correct. Um, though, you know, you'll see in other courts where there there may be venue challenges in this way that they they won't they won't open it up for this type of discovery. Um, but you do see it quite regularly in uh, in other courts, including the Eastern District that I mentioned earlier. Um, discoveries frequently allowed there, even if it's not necessarily in a standing order like it is with Judge Albright now, um, it, it it almost happens as of right there. 
Well, the, the last question that I'll, I'll leave you with then is, you know, put on your, your plaintiff's hat. Uh, what discovery would you be looking for in the Western District of Texas if you wanted to anchor venue there? Um, I would be looking at the whether offices or even lease space, you know, perhaps even um, temporary space uh, like a WeWork sort of model uh, is there showing sort of purposeful direction, at least at a company level to that, to the Western District. Uh, I'd be looking for uh, a preferably a number of witnesses that would would have that would have relevant information for the case that's an important piece especially on the discretionary transfer side of things can't just be any employee it needs to be employees who have relevant information uh, but you know definitely would want to know about if there was one but I would also want to know uh, if there were many um, and the reason that that becomes important is uh, under some of the the mandamus decisions by the federal circuit on the merits of the transfer motions, they're looking more, they're scrutinizing the weight of, of uh, access to sources of proof and presence of witness in the transferor and the transferee forum. So, um, you know, in a, if you were looking to have a strong argument on the plaintiff side, you'd be looking for a higher number in Western District of Texas. And if you're on the defense side, you're going to want to be showing that that there's way more in the transferee forum. So it sounds like, well, the, the world adjusts to a, a more remote policy and, and more distributed workforce. We've got a little bit to learn on the law, but undoubtedly this is going to be a, a significant legal spend issue for a lot of a lot of companies based outside of Texas. Uh, yes. Yeah. I think, um, probably unfortunately from the client side, anytime you have an issue like this, it, it's going to cost both time and money, um, from, from the defendant side of things. If they want to try to get these cases out of the Western district, if they need to try to figure out how to, how to manage remote workers as the case law develops around them on this issue, it's going to take, litigating it. Well, Sarah, thank you for your, your time today. Um, we'll be looking forward to, to seeing how this case law develops. And if anything else comes up in the, the Western District, let us know. Will do. Thank you.